Welcome to What About Bob. Today we're going to talk about something that's quite personal to me, and that is making the transition after losing one spouse. I hope you'll join me and and hear what I've got to say. So again, welcome to What About Bob. This is July 12th, 2022, and this is What About Bob, and I am Bob Rainierson. As you heard in the intro, we're going to talk about, or I'm going to talk about, the transition of to becoming a widower from someone who is happily married for just a few months short of 40 years. I want to introduce you and describe a bit of my wife to you. My wife, whose name was Bonnie, um, who was two years younger than me, was a very determined woman, and yet she had a very keen sense of humor. She could laugh, and it was infectious. Sometimes she'd laugh at the silliest things. She certainly liked to prod me to get a chuckle from herself or from others. And that was okay. I liked it. She was, more than anything, a devoted person to her family, to her children. We had three children together. And when she passed, we had a total of four grandchildren. And what is particularly a bit hurtful right now is that we've had one since that she'll never know, at least hold the child and and look into the baby's eyes as as he is experiencing you know life for the first time and she did love to hold her grandchildren yes she did so anyway that's a bit of a description but what had happened was um, back in I think it was 2019 she um, found out that she had ovarian cancer. Shame about it was, was that my wife had developed and practiced a very healthy lifestyle. Um, she used to she used to be a smoker. She used to be a drinker. And she had had a health scare many, many years before and decided to, that she was going to quit drinking and did quit drinking cold turkey. And she stopped her smoking eventually. And then my wife, who was never someone who was particularly athletic, decided that she would get on a workout routine and know that she work out. She had these tapes that she was a disciple of that she would spend an hour each day working out to, or she would walk wherever for, you know, uh, upwards to four or five miles each day. She lost probably close to 40 pounds. She was in great physical shape until the cancer came along. And I'm sure many of you can relate to that of having a loved one finding out that they have cancer. It was devastating. It wasn't like, you know, catching prostate cancer early and having a a good shot at it, nor, nor breast cancer and catching that early. Uh, even though that's still, you know, scary. But um, stats have shown that if, 
you know, there are particular types of cancers that you catch early enough that the chance for survival has certainly increased immensely over the past few decades. But unfortunately, ovarian cancer doesn't seem to be one of those. And so it was a determination that she was going to have a surgery. She was going to have a, you know, have everything removed. And then she would go into um, chemo. And when she went into the surgery, got a bit of a wake up when uh, the surgery was scheduled for four hours and about an hour in the beeper I was carrying that, you know, I was expecting for it to buzz, you know, after the surgery was complete, went off and the surgeon wanted to meet me. And she sat down with me in a conference room and she proceeded to tell me how my wife's cancer was, had a very high, the type of it was, had a very high rate of return within two years, which was certainly prophetic because it was just a, just a month or two or three, um, two years and three or four months that she um, passed. And when I said something to um, the surgeon that uh, I had already retired and she was getting ready to retire and that we had hoped to be able to travel and enjoy our retirement, the surgeon looked at me in a very um, direct way, said that, well, I'd be doing that sooner rather than later, which was quite sobering. Now, with that being said, unfortunately, that wasn't made possible. And it did not become possible simply because my wife came away from that surgery and she was the most positive person. She was going to fight this. She was going to win this. And we, you know, that and the surgery took place, I think, in October. And that Christmas, I had sweatshirts and shirts made up saying Rynearson Strong with a teal crossed ribbon. I think teal is the color for ovarian cancer. So, you know, we were all in this together, the whole family, encouraging. And we have a great circle of friends who are just as encouraging and being there for her and made all sorts of offerings to her. And this, she found this out. And of course, she started chemo. This was before COVID. And we got involved in the chemo and we went through here in Fort Wayne, a Parkview Cancer Institute, which has quickly developed a, a pretty decent reputation. And uh, immediately, the nurses were, who worked with Bonnie and administering her chemo were much drawn to her and Bonnie took a liking to them and vice versa. And it just became, again, a very positive environment for Bonnie to come away and feel strong and come away with a positive attitude. So anyway, then COVID hit. Then all at once I couldn't, or me or the kids could not be in. At first it started when COVID came around, it was just me that could be in with her during her chemo treatments and then I couldn't be in there. And so we went for the longest time and I would drop her off and whatever. And, but anyway, uh, it, the rules relaxed a bit and I could start be, being with her during this time. And I think she appreciated, I certainly appreciated it. 
but unfortunately, um, you know, after the first series of treatments, um, something didn't look right. So they started her on a second go around. And um, following this go around, we decided that uh, we wanted to get away at least for a few days. And we did. And, uh, and so we got permission from a chemo doctor. And um, what had happened was we went to Folly Beach in South Carolina. It was one of our favorite places, just the two of us. But as it would turn out, that would be the only time that we got away to anywhere that was uh, um, that could be considered any type of a vacation. Uh, she returned and tried to make the, the long story shorter. Uh, she returned, she did her chemo treatments. And... Uh, even after the second round, uh, they found that um, um, it's, there's, there was concerns with the liver. So they went for another round of treatments. And we, come, we got to the very last one, and she was given kind of a sign of hope. During this whole time, they never, ever used the word remission. It was never in remission. But they did, uh, right before the last one, the chemo doctor had made mention that maybe that he was seeing signs of remission, but that really wasn't what was happening. On January 21st, my oldest daughter had come over for dinner. My wife had made coconut shrimp and all that, and but she wasn't feeling real good, wasn't feeling right. And so my daughter ate and left and I went upstairs and all at once I heard her yell out my name and I came downstairs and she was on the couch, her shirt was off, her skin was ice cold. I rushed her in the hospital, her gut was hurting her badly. And it was the kind of the beginning of the end. She spent couple weeks in the hospital during this she was given some uh you know, I mean, she was being watched they found there was bleeding around the liver it scared her she, she made her wishes known on if she should not come out what we would do with her ashes which she wanted them spread on on folly beach in the in the ocean and uh we would have uh we would rent a place and the whole family would gather which we ultimately did but uh, on February 5th, she came home for hospice home care. And then on February 8th, at approximately 8.35, she passed and I was there with her. I loved her, I love her, and I miss her terribly. We went, we were fortunate because the funeral home that we went through and held, um, a celebration of her life, but though I got to admit, it didn't feel much like a celebration for me, you know? Uh, anyway, we got through it and people were allowed to come in and there was a lot of people who expressed her admiration. She had worked with Serva, which is the parent company in the North American Van Lines for 42 years. And she had just retired November 1st. And that's what was even more 
disappointing was that she never got to enjoy what she had worked so hard for. But it took place, and we did spread her ashes on Folly Beach. But in the meantime, um, I had to face something that I just was not used to. We had built our house in 1989, and for all those years, we raised our kids there. We had a lot of good memories. We did a lot of entertaining. There was a lot of euchre games played. There was a lot of New Year's Eve celebrations. There was it was just a, it was a good place. But even as the kids left, there was at least her and I. And after she passed, you suddenly realize what being alone is all about. You know, it's interesting too. There are when you when you lose someone close to you, it's uh, in particular a spouse or perhaps a parent, and the well wishers, the friends, the family come to the most direct, you know, relative or spouse or child, whatever, and they will say things which, with all the best intentions, you know, we know they're in heaven or. They're uh, watching over you, or their spirit is with us. But the one comment that seemed to be said quite a bit with me was that people would say to me, Bob, don't worry, hang in there. You're not alone. We're there. You're not alone. It didn't take me long to kind of become very tongue-in-cheek with that comment. Now, don't get me wrong. I understand people's good intentions, and I don't hold it against them. And, oh, my God. Do I appreciate my family and my friends because I don't know where I would be throughout this whole process without them. But when the comment, you're you're not alone, my cynicism when I was alone in the house was, oh, really? Who's here with me now for hours? I go to bed alone. I get up alone. I come home uh, alone. There is no one here. The kids would call. The kids would stop by. That's fine. Friends would invite me over. That's fine. But you go back to the house that you've lived in with this person, the person that maybe you unfortunately allowed to become almost routine. In other words, she goes to work. You know, you're laying in bed. She's getting in the shower. She's getting out. She's getting ready. You get up. You get in the shower. You're getting ready for work. You leave, you give her a kiss, you say love you, you know, you come home, she comes home, she watches TV, I'm reading a book, I'm working on a piece, uh, writing, they're there. They don't have to be in the same room, you just feel them, you know they're there, their presence is felt, and when that presence is no longer with you. You feel the aloneness. And when people would make that comment, Bob, you're never alone. Again, in my mind, I was thinking, oh, really? You know, well, surprise, I am. And, you know, it doesn't change. And so you learn you have to adapt. Now, I came, I've been around death. 
I lost my father when he was only 65, by the way. My wife passed, like I said, on February 8th. She was only 65 years old, had just turned 65 years old. I thought we were going to grow old and gray, and we did not get that chance. And I also, one added thing here is that I watched the chemo and the cancer wear my wife down. And maybe I didn't see it at the time, but the people who knew her very well, her close friends, and even the nurses when we were in the hospital talked about the gray, that her, the color of gray that her skin had become, meaning that, you know, she was losing oxygen in the, from the blood and, and, uh, oh yeah, I probably should put this in. My oldest daughter was the one that asked the doctor when he gathered us in right before she went home on hospice, how long did she have? And he said, well, maybe some weeks, but there's no months, you know, her kidneys and her liver was failing. So that all that, you know, hit hard and it continued on. But like I said, I, after her passing, um, you know, you miss her. You miss her terribly. Or for the women who have lost their mates, you miss him. You just, for the longest time, you keep thinking they're going to come through that door. And they don't. You drive and you hear a particular song. For me, songs like Photograph by Ringo Starr, of all things. Uh... Uh, Cry to Me by Solomon Burke. Um, uh, a very a variety of other songs would come over the radio. Or sometimes I would purposely play them because I wanted, I wanted to feel bad. Maybe that's true. Maybe I wanted to feel bad. Maybe I wanted to be miserable because I guess it was better than feeling nothing at all. I went back to work. Now work for me, I'm retired, but I do work a part-time job here in Fort Wayne in the courts as a bailiff for a couple hours each morning, you know, to help out, which is, I appreciate it because it kept me focused, kept me, at least gave me a, a bit of time to deflect my, my thoughts. But again, as I suggested before, I would leave there and go home and there's no one to say hi to, you know. Somebody might say, get a dog. Well, I've already got a dog, but uh, I think at times that my dog, too, felt the loss. Um, it was just strange, you know, how he reacted during that time. But I wanted, but as I had suggested before, I'd been through death. I lost my father when he was 65. In the same year as I lost my wife, I lost my only sibling, my brother, who was seven years younger than me. I lost my mother, who was 94. She had been a widow for a long time. In the years past, I lost my very best friend, who was only 37, another good friend who was in his 30s. I knew people who just, you know, again, that I knew and was close to, whether it was grandparents or cousins or uncles. And uh, believe me, I had been to quite a few funerals. On top of that, I had, I was requested often to give eulogies. So 
you know, I kind of became absorbed in that because each eulogy I gave when I wrote it, I wanted to make sure I wanted, I made it as personal as could be because oftentimes these days, especially, uh, if a minister is brought in, he may not know the person was is deceased as well as family or me. And so again, I would make sure that I made it as, as comforting, but as personal and, and bring to light what the person was. Now, with all that said, when my wife passed, here was I, this person who had written and done all these eulogies. Well, I couldn't, I couldn't refuse or couldn't ignore doing that at my own wife's funeral. So I did, I wrote her eulogy and uh, spent a lot of time on it. But um, anywho, like I said, after she passed, it was the aloneness. Well, I had also decided, and maybe I had even prepared for this in the back of my mind, but I did not want to be one of those people that withered in her sorrow their self-pity. And as I said, you kept keep thinking she's going to come back through that door. This is all a bad dream. And it's a bad dream, but it's a bad reality as well. And so you kind of tell yourself, you know, as the, an old saying goes, is that be happy that you were able to share a life with such a special person, you know, then not meet a person as such as her in your, in your life. Well, I, I do appreciate that, but I had to keep moving. I had to keep moving. And so I did anything I could to keep from, for example, just drinking too much, you know, believe me. When you come home and you're alone, well, the bottles of bourbon and the beers and the vodka and all that stuff, it's all there for the taking. And you find yourself drinking a little bit more, and sometimes maybe a bit too much than what you had ever consumed before, just because there was nothing else. I couldn't write. I couldn't read. I was just numb, but I kept moving. So I worked out at the gym and I worked out hard and heavy, you know, at least for an old man like me. And I found myself feeling it was that it was that it helped deal with the stress by working out and and uh, and I purposely would try to listen to music that wasn't depressing wasn't uh, uh, reminiscent or reminded me I should say of you know my loss and with that being said I slowly got back to reading but I also got off my ass and I took a cross-country trip. I started off by going to the Isle of Palms in South Carolina, and then down to St. Augustine, down to Naples, where I had all friends, and they had invited me. So I took them up on that for a few weeks just to get away. That did help, but it doesn't make everything go away. It doesn't erase everything. But I had to keep moving. I had to keep trying to focus in on something else. Um. I did take up friends' invitations to go to the lake or come to their house, you know. Anything to try to fight off that darkness that can easily envelop you. Now, with all that being said, that's what I was doing to try to fend off that darkness. But on one particular occasion, the darkness did 
almost overtake me, almost overwhelm me. And one particular night I was in my bedroom, I entertained thoughts of doing myself the ultimate self-harm. And I remember that night I bawled like a baby for the longest time. And I finally fell asleep, if I remember correctly, and but getting up and again, trying to fight that battle, keeping myself reminded that I am still living, reminding myself that even though I lost my partner in life, lost the love of my life, that there were still those who depended on me. As bizarre as it may sound, I think that's what made my wife and I such good partners was that we loved being parents. We loved our children, loved our family, embraced our family, tried to keep our family strong. Wasn't always easy. Our kids weren't perfect, but they became very good citizens. Each one of them had become adults. and, And that was one thing my wife was able to experience was that to see your kids make it in life, you know? Um, anyway, um, so I did that trip and then we did, we also did the thing as I talked about my wife's wishes, followed through on that, you know, and that just, ironically, we scheduled that the best time we could schedule it was for, uh, the week where in 2021 during Mother's Day. And so on Mother's Day, it was actually when we had the ceremony in the water and spread some of my wife's ashes. And since then, I have have continued to travel. I went to Las Vegas with my daughters. I spent January and February and had rented myself an apartment in Naples. And you don't totally get away from it. But it helps you to remind yourself that the alternative cannot be feasible. Even though it it calls upon you to fight harder than maybe you've ever fought in your life. And and the problem is the battle is against is within you. It's the battle of the person on one side that says you gotta keep on, you gotta go on, you gotta not give up. And the other person who just would allow self-pity or sympathy or depression to consume them. It is a battle that rages on. But it is up to you which side you want to win. And 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 I think that's also important. And, and you know, I've I, I've had people, good friends especially good friends to Bonnie, who have told me what Bonnie, my wife, would have wanted me to do after her death, as I was still amongst the living. And I, and I, and I think so. I mean, I th- in other words, I, I guess, yeah, she would want me to continue on. She would want me to live, not give up. She would want me to be a good father still and a good grandfather to my grandkids and 
I got to be honest with you, any of you who have gone through this process of losing a spouse and you're at that point in your life where you do have grandkids, you know what I'm talking about. They certainly deflect your attention and they keep you going and they do give you a reason to smile and that, you know, you just got to take one step at a time because there's still good things in this life. And let's face it, my grandkids, they are, they are, they are the creatures of my wife's doing and my doing. They are here because of us, just as we are here from that, those generations that came for us. So, and, and it is, the grandkids knew her as Grandma Bonnie. And uh, my uh, one granddaughter, who is currently six years old, she remembers Grandma Bonnie, and oh, she she may be the only one who really has any memory of her as we get older. But that's where I come in. It is a part of my job to keep my wife's spirit alive, to let the grandkids know that their Grandma Bonnie was someone special, and she loved them so much, and she is, I believe, watching over them. So, I don't know if this helps anyone out there. Um, actually, I think it's helping me just talking about it. You know, I've got pictures of her still up. Since then, that's the other part of this equation, is that the house that we built that I talked about earlier, I knew I couldn't stay there. One, I'm getting older and my knees <laughs> aren't what they used to be, not when I was younger and running the high hurdles or playing basketball or football or whatever. But um, I decided that uh, I needed to move. It was too big of a house, the four-bedroom house, when it was just me and the dog. So the kids encouraged me, and I was able to move. I, You know, we had our investments, and they've allowed for me to, you know, move on to, I recently bought myself a much smaller place, a nicer place, got a nice view, well, makes life much easier. It's much easier to clean. I have no stairs and everything's good. You know, I mean, when it comes to that, but everywhere I go, I mean, it may make it easier on me, but everywhere I go and, and as I will in this life, and it's a recognition is that she will always be with me. She was that much of a part of my life. And I don't know where my life will go from this. I've had people ask me, well, Bob, are you dating? And I and I even shared with my kids, look, I would love to be able to, you know, go sit down and have dinner with someone, you know, uh, a female and to enjoy company, you know, just to maybe experience some things. I don't know that I have any intention ever of getting married again. But with that being said, you know, the, the loneliness leads you to appreciate the opposite sexes, you know, viewpoints and voices and just, you know, something that only a woman, I guess, can provide. But, but you know, that's neither here nor there. There are no real interests right now at all. You know, I'm just, I just need to, remind myself that I am alive. And maybe one of the easiest ways to do that is to step outside and 
just breathe in that fresh air, you know, and then take the time to remember her. Oh yeah, I still talk to her once in a while. I may be in the car, or I may be laying in bed and just put down my book and say something like, well, Bonnie, guess what happened today, you know? Just like I would say when she was still with us. But my friends, you know, there is one more thing, too, I want to share is that, as I told them, and hopefully all of them whose, whose spouses are still with them, and I hope they grow old and gray and there's many more years in their lives together. But everybody who is married and in a, particularly in a great relationship will go through what I go have gone through. So I just know, and again, I'm not sure this helps anyone, but it's just sharing. <laughs> Maybe it's my way of saying, hey, you're not alone, but in a different context, of course. Is that know that other people go through what you've gone through when you've lost a spouse. And um, maybe only in spirit. But we can make it. We truly can. So, again, I, I hope you don't mind listening to this. If nothing else, just to share what kind of a special person my wife was. Okay, well, this just about wraps up another episode of What About Bob? Again, I'll try to be more regular. I, If you've ever checked out my uh, uh, website, my blog, um, you'll see that I'm a lot more regular in my writings than I am these podcasts. But nevertheless, I'll try to be, I'll try to do a better job to close Especially on the note here, being a, I just want to say that losing a spouse is not for the faint of heart, but you are stronger than what you probably imagine. But I want to read something from E.E. Cummings. He says, to be nobody but yourself in a world which is doing its best night and day to make you everybody else means to fight the hardest battle which any human being can fight and never stop fighting. So keep it up. So this is Bob Reinerson signing off from What About Bob. You take care and watch out for the bad guys. <laughs>